0: Hello and welcome to The Limitless Podcast with me, Joshua Patterson. I'm passionate about sharing the stories of courage and resilience. Each week, I will be interviewing extraordinary people from all different walks of life who saw past their statistics, who turned personal moments of adversity into strength. My hope is that this podcast can inspire you to step outside of your limits and achieve things you thought never possible. Welcome to Limitless Before we welcome today's guest, I want to say a massive thank you to the sponsors of today's episode, Sweaty Betty. I launched this podcast to celebrate people's incredible mental and physical strength, which is why it's such a pleasure to work with a brand who champions these moments of success. Helping you to feel your most powerful, Sweaty Betty's products are designed by an all-female team, including their power leggings, which are made from high-stretch fabric, engineered to last and have the ability to motivate you to move and feel strong in your workouts. The Sweaty Betty team also wear tests their products themselves, which really makes you realize how passionate they are about building an authentic female activewear brand. So for any female listeners out there who want to check out the brand for themselves, Sweaty Betty are offering 20% off using the code LIMITLESS at sweatybetty.com slash podcasts. They also host hundreds of free workout classes every week in their stores. So definitely worth keeping an eye out on how you can get involved with the Sweaty Betty community. Thank you so much, Sweaty Betty. Today I'm joined by a man responsible for the revolution of today's generation and how we perceive plant-based diets. With his documentary on Netflix, The Game Changers, a former meat eater who has adopted a new approach to his life and routine for himself and for others. His voice is not to tell someone what they should or should not do, but to educate them on the facts, to debunk the myths, to give society a chance to make a clear and free decision in life of what will work best for them. Today, straight off the plane from America, I'm joined by James Wilkes. James,
1: my God, thank you so much. You've literally just come off the aeroplane. I have rushed here, ran through the airport because I knew I was running late. So apologies for being late, but thanks for having me on. No,
0: but thank you so much. I mean, I reached out to you the minute I watched your documentary. So for those of you that don't know who James Wilkes is, he is the man behind the Game Changers, you know, arguably a documentary on Netflix that is taking the world by storm. And I would say as a whole, it's mostly been positive, but naturally it has faced some backlash.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean it's been overwhelming the response. We've still not got the numbers in yet. Netflix doesn't release the numbers. It was also on it's also on iTunes and all these other platforms, and we get the numbers from those. But it'd be interesting to see. You know, my guess would be somewhere so far, like you know, close to I don't know, thirty, forty, fifty million so far. And it apparently it keeps growing, we've been told by Netflix. So it's pretty inc- exciting.
0: It's incredible. I mean, like I said, most people will know you as the man from the game changers. But for those that haven't watched it yet, I really want to give them a picture of the person that you are, kind of pre-Netflix, pre-documentary, just so that they can get a better understanding of kind of your journey and to that point.
1: Yeah, I mean, so uh, I moved to the States when I was 22 years old to continue studying martial arts. I was a big fan of martial arts. I've been studying you know, since I was a kid. And then I just sort of started training these elite government agencies, so U.S. Marines, U.S. Marshals, U.S. Navy SEALs, SWAT teams, things like that. And then in 2008, I was turning, I'd had a few professional MMA fights, but just sort of for fun on the side, because my main focus is real self-defense, so I also teach like knife disarms and gun disarms and biting and eye gouging and multiple opponents, that type of thing. But of course, you can't do that morally, right? You can't go on the street and pick fights to test your skills, so the closest thing was the sport of mixed martial arts. So every year I'd have a fight or two, you know, just for, for a professional fight, just for fun. I was turning 30 years old and in 2000 i think i was 29 in 2008 so i was thinking well i don't want to look back and say i could have done that i said oh yeah i could have fought in the ufc and my um i was watching the ultimate fighter reality show and i said to my roommates at the time i you know i could beat all of those guys and they said oh yeah go on then try it so you know tried out for the ultimate fighter got on been living in the states for nine year, eight or nine years at this point so i had to fly back to england uh, and then the next day fight people to, to get on the english team so then i got on the team it was U, well, it was the uk so it was uk versus usa flew back you have to live in the house for like seven or eight weeks and you fight and you go up this sort of pyramid and then end up winning the ultimate fighter and got a contract with the, with the ufc and uh, then after you know a few fights i got injured and that's when i started this journey into nutrition i
0: mean it's a mad journey i mean you you're a country boy aren't you from England? Yeah,
1: I was born in, uh, born in Leicester, but um, raised in Melton Mowbray, which is the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. rural capital of food, which is pretty funny considering yeah, yeah, yeah. I started getting into nutrition. Yeah.
0: So my mum lives in Stamford,
1: which oh, is which, really which, which, yeah. which isn't
0: too far away. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that you made that transition over to America because actually that there aren't a whole lot of UFC fighters from England, or they weren't. Not at the time. In fact, now there's
1: much more. Yeah. But back in the day. Yeah, there was actually only one black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu in the whole of the United Kingdom at that time. So, especially jiu-jitsu. You know, England's always had good uh, Thai boxing and kickboxing, uh, but, you know, not really wrestling, like in the US, and then not the Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so...
0: And then Bisping, was it Bisping?
1: Bisping, yeah, Michael Bisping, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He won an earlier version of the Ultimate Fighter, and obviously he's an amazing fighter as well.
0: So you kind of, you got into MMA fighting, and then it all kind of, it, it, it changed when you had, you incurred an injury, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I got into training for a fight. I was actually sparring with Fabricio Vadum, who went on to become um, heavyweight champion of the UFC. So he had about 80 or 90 pounds on me. Wow. And we were sparring and basically tore ligaments in both of my knees uh, two weeks before a fight, had to pull out. And I knew that I'd have about six months or more where I really couldn't train properly. So I thought, what can I do productively with my time? You know, that's related to my career. And so I thought, well, I'll start digging into optimal nutrition for recovery and then athletic performance. And that's when I came across a study about the Roman gladiators. And basically, scientists analyzed the bones, um, the only known gladiator burial site in the world, actually, in Ephesus, Turkey. 68 gladiator skeletons, 5,000 bones. And there's things that they can do, it's called a strontium calcium analysis and a radioisotope analysis. And they analyzed the bones, they could tell that they were eating almost exclusively plants. And I just thought that can't be true because you've got to have animal protein, you know, meat or at least eggs or something every meal in order to be an athlete and maintain muscle mass, that type of thing. So that's what, that really got me digging deeper into the research. And that's when I came to realize that we've sort of been led to believe this myth, you know, like that athletes need meat, you need meat to be strong and healthy. And sort of underlying all of that, as a man, I felt we needed meat as well, especially. I thought, you know, our women could do okay without meat, but men, for some reason, I thought couldn't. And that's when I started realizing this real men eat meat myth that was underlying this as well. Where did it come about even being approached to do a documentary?
0: Is this something that you went, you know, in my time, I've, I, I want to create something. I want to educate people the way I have been. Or was it something that was, was kind of approached to yourself?
1: No, no, no. So I, uh, I was doing this research and I kept getting sort of frustrated because I felt like I'd been lied to. Right. The marketing from the industry. And then, you know, I thought I knew a lot about nutrition, but I realized I was getting it mainly from you know, magazines like fitness magazines or blogs or websites. And of course, that's also influenced by industry, including not only the advertising that they do in those magazines and on the websites, but also the industry funded research that's also making its way in there. And so I was just really frustrated. I felt i have been lied to and I hate being lied to. And so I actually just woke up at two in the morning and thought, I got to tell everybody about this. This is this is BS, we've gotta let people know that they're being lied to and they can make their own decisions then, right? And so at two in the morning, couldn't go back to sleep, you know, turned to my wife, said, I'm gonna make a documentary. She's like, What? I'm like, I gotta make a documentary about this. And so I, I literally went and called the uh, director of photography, Everett Motta from The Ultimate Fighter, asked him what camera I should buy, went onto YouTube, learned how to do the three point lighting, bought some wireless mics and just started interviewing some people. Uh, very early on. I met Joseph Pace, who's been plant-based for like 25 years at the time. He was working with Dr. Gregor at nutritionfacts.org. And as far as I know, they're the only people that look at every single English language nutrition article in every journal every year, about 27,000 scientific articles, and they make layman's videos. It's really great for people that just want to spend three minutes on a topic. They make like three-minute videos, you know, and it's all the citations. So he was working for them, and he'd had some screenwriting experience. We got together and started working on like how the documentary might flow. And then we raised some funds and it, it took a long time. It was a long, a long project though it was like, if it was like a fight, there was like three rounds, you know, it was like, um, it was myself in the, with the used camera. And then it was, we hired a producer, but we felt like the quality wasn't there. And we needed more funds. And then the third round was getting Luis Sahoyos, our director. Who's got the most award-winning documentary of all time called the cove. And, and then with Jim Cameron and a two-time Eddie winner which is the best award you can get for editing and the top documentary writer in Hollywood and so that was round 3 right that was the real wow team and and shooting in 4K and better cameras you know high speed cameras and... cuz the quality is fantastic yeah what we realized you know in that second round was okay the quality uh, is just not good enough and also we need like a master storyteller cuz there's some like interesting stories that people have in the film And unfortunately, we filmed like 50 more people than we put in. We got 600 hours of footage down into like, you know, 86 minutes. Uh, And it was a shame to like lose all those other really interesting stories. And even with each individual, you don't get to tell their full story. But yeah, it was just, uh, we realized that especially like the younger demographic and people into sports, they're used to watching like ESPN or UFC or... So you're going to have to give them that type of quality if you want it to be entertaining and, and professional.
0: 100%. And I think, having watched it myself, it just it ticks the boxes. Mm-hmm. I think it's the fact that you're not just focusing on one or two sports. You're focusing on multiple. You know, even just... I was writing some notes here, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong with them, but just things like the executive producers. You've got Cha- James Cameron, yep. Arnold Schwarzenegger, yep. Jackie Chan, mm-hmm. Lewis Hamilton, yep. Novak Djokovic, yep. and Chris Paul. Yeah, <laughs> You know... When you look at these names, we're not talking about menial names. We're talking about major names. And I know it's really easy just to go, okay, let's just drop Arnold Schwarzenegger in there and it'll sell, it'll sell a documentary. The reality is, just in that list alone, Arnold Schwarzenegger is arguably the most successful bodybuilder of all time. Right. So in terms of an influence that he has, yeah. it's astronomical. Lewis Hamilton, he's arguably one of, if not the greatest Formula One drivers of our generation, if not of all time. And then yeah. you've got... Djokovic, again, that guy's been number one for how many years now? These are guys at the top of their game, and yeah. I, and I, you know, what kind of frustrated me? I saw you did an interview recently with Piers Morgan, and Piers Morgan starts, you know, uh, criticizing, you know, sort of tennis and that you don't need to be strong. <laughs> yeah, it's nonsense. We're not necessarily talking about strength. We're right. talking about performance. Right.
1: And in various styles of performance, right? So you could split it evenly into, like, obviously there's a lot more complex in this, but like strength and then endurance, you know, with the Novak, that final that he had recently at Wimbledon, I think was one of the longest, if not the longest final they ever had. So in terms of endurance. And then, you know, Piers Morgan also made another joke about Lewis Hamilton. Anyone can drive a car. I can drive a car. And it was actually one of the really frustrating things and it's actually in the 22-minute bonus content that's coming out in the next week or two. And it was, it was also played in theaters. We went into a little bit more of the interview with Lewis Hamilton. And the reason it didn't make the film is because to a lot of people, it's hard to understand why being a race car driver is athletic, right? And so it actually took sort of a minute and a half, two minutes to unpack that, to explain to people. I mean, it's incredible, right? So yeah. he loses 10 pounds of water weight in a race. On the brake, when he's got hit, hitting the corners, it's two hundred and twenty pounds of pressure on the brake every time with one leg, and he's literally his feet aren't even on the floor; they're elevated. And he's holding the plank while his feet are resting on those pedals, but you can't keep the weight on the pedals. So his core strength they, they hit more Gs going around the corner than a fighter pilot. Um, I mean, it's just like if you understand the shape that Lewis is in and able to do that, it's—it's it's incredible.
0: A lot of feedback that people were kind of putting out there, they were saying, okay, yeah, it's really impressive to see sort of a minority of athletes that are Mm -hmm. on plant-based diets. Right. But the majority that they haven't shown are on meat.
1: Right. But the funny thing is, and people said, well, a documentary should really show both sides. But the thing is, it's already in the conscious. And like, no one's arguing that you can not build muscle on meat. Clearly you can. And you also have to remember that The minority of people are also vegan or plant-based. And so, you know, when we were filming, two of the top 10 heavyweight boxers in the world were completely vegan. So that's 20% of the top 10 heavyweight boxers in the world, right? Whereas only 1% of the population is vegan. So 20% of the top 10 heavyweight boxers versus 1%. We think the data is there to show that not only can you be equivalent, there's actually a performance and, and a health advantage to getting the vast majority of your calories from plants, if not all of them. Why do you think it is, though? We
0: have such a, a thirst for knowledge. As an athlete, everybody wants to get an edge. That's why so many high-performance athletes take steroids, right? Because right. they want that edge. Right. Why is it when somebody's saying, if you adopt a plant-based diet, your performance will go up by X. Inflammation will reduce by X. Why are they then turning around and going, whoa, 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 whoa? this this isn't right, I don't like this. Is it just because we've had meat or a particular diet drilled into our mindsets for so long that we just can't accept change?
1: Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, I think there's, when you look at some of the rebuttals that have come out, you can dig into it and there is there is literally still industry uh, influence on that. There's people that are paid spokespeople. So I think you've got people funded by the meat industry, then you've got the the carnivore diet and the keto diet folks that it's I guess, a heavy animal-based usually um, I, mean, I know there's some people doing vegan keto, but generally it's people doing a lot of meat. And I think people are just emotionally attached. It's a behavior that you've been doing three times a day for your whole life. Uh, it's pretty hard to accept that, hey, maybe that's not the best way of, of doing things. You know, maybe you should be eating more plants. And again, it doesn't have to be our model. If you look on our website, it's like all or something. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. You can get benefits just from, you know, getting more plants in your diet. I mean, everyone's going, oh, they're telling us to be vegan. And that's, that's just not what we're trying to do.
0: The reason why I wanted to really have this discussion with you today is because, I I mean, I am a meat eater. Yeah. And I can't see, personally, having watched this documentary,
1: where the negative in it is. Yeah, I mean, I think from their point of view, first of all, they're not only eating the meat themselves, but a lot of these professionals have been giving advice on you know how much meat to eat or eggs or whatever. So they suddenly feel threatened, like, wait a minute, this is not what I've been recommending. How am I going to look to my clients or whatever? so I think they feel threatened in that regard. And then people will say, oh, they're cherry picking and try and point out, you know, something. But when you make a film, it's not like you're writing a scientific dissertation. You've also got to make it entertaining. So you only get a certain amount of time to put the science in. And of course, there's no one study that proves anything, right? So you have to take the preponderance or the totality of evidence. But in doing that, you You can't, it's difficult to explain the totality of evidence without giving some examples. And so that's what you're doing. And, you know, another criticism is, oh, well, the studies that you did weren't scientifically validated. But we literally included that in the film when they did the erectile function experiment. Dr. Aaron Spitz, who's the lead delegate of urology for the American Medical Association, he says this isn't a scientifically validated study. It was just an illustration of the science that we know. And we could have cut that bit out. We didn't have to include that bit, but we wanted to be open and say, look, this, this is only three people. Yep. You know, there wasn't enough controls. You, know, you can only show little bits in the film and then people all of a sudden say, you're cherry picking, the studies weren't valid, you know, whatever.
0: Do you feel like the battle that you're kind of facing right now is, is exactly the same as the environmental one that we're faced with, where, yep. the, you know, the proof is in the pudding, the evidence is there, and yet we are still blinded by it? It's like yeah. it's not happening, and yet yeah. it is like if if you look at the the rates of obesity, cholesterol, they're flying through the roof you know i i did I watched this documentary recently on a, on an American school, and you know I think it was something like tomato puree is classified as a vegetable mm-hmm. French fries is classified yeah, as a vegetable because yeah. it's got potato in it. Yeah, it's madness. like it's. I mean, I'm not saying that England is or the UK is is any better, but like it's it's madness that that people are allowed to get away with this. You know, we have a responsibility with the younger generations that we have. I have I have a two year old daughter, and this is why I'm heavily invested in this because I think to be ignorant, ignore it would be of
1: detriment to her. Totally. You know. Yeah. I mean, if people have got kids, they should be worried about what's happening with our planet and also the health. You know, we need to need to be uh, educated and, and get people moving in the right direction in terms of what they're reading as well. I think aesthetically
0: your presence demands the attention of those that watch. And I think you've gone against the grain in terms of what people think. And I think that's what is so thought-provoking for so many viewers is that they're looking at you and looking at so many different athletes now who aren't who they suspected. You know, that it's not the stereotype that it's been for so long. And I think that may be why it's changed the game because, unfortunately, I don't think the environment to a lot of people is enough to make that transition. Right. Sometimes it is just based on vanity, right, and aesthetic.
1: Yeah, there's actually research being done on that as well, showing, you know, like vanity... Uh, and anything that sort of personally affects you, you know, is going to be a number one motivator. Vanity's first, health is second, environment's third, and and animal rights is fourth in terms of people switching towards more plant-based eating. Um, But then having said that, people will get into it sometimes for vanity or their own sexual performance or athletic performance or whatever. And because of these sort of, um, you've got cognitive dissonance, right? Like if you think that it's normal, natural, and necessary to eat meat, you're not going to want to accept some of those things about your behavior, right? People don't like to hear bad things about their, their habits that they think that they enjoy. And so you set up these barriers, put up this wall. Well, I'm not going to listen to any arguments about water pollution or the environment or the animals or whatever else because you believe that you have to have it. But once that you're eating this way and you've seen the science and you realize that you can do it, then you, I think your mind starts opening up. Uh, And even for me, I wasn't into the environment or animals or anything. But once I started eating this way and I felt better, and I only did it as an experiment to start with, but then, you know, I've stuck with it now. You start thinking more about, yeah, I I want the the planet to be good for my children. I don't want water pollution. I don't want, like, loss of, I don't want humans to be, like, killing all of the the biodiversity, the wildlife or, you know, so now I've got, like, solar panels on my roof or I drive a hybrid car now. I wouldn't have even thought about that before. But I think that was just a barrier up you know, before, before this people in the 18 to
0: 34 age group were more likely to switch to veganism. Why do you think it's that demographic specifically that seem to be invested more into this?
1: I, mean, I think people are more open-minded. Well, first of all, the longer you've been doing something, the harder it is to change. I think that's one thing. Right. And then I think the younger people are really starting to, I, I think the internet has a big thing to do with it. Right. The good, there's good and bad about the internet because you can put out a load of crap on the internet, but there's also a lot of good, and documentaries especially that you access with like Netflix and iTunes and like being able to see documentaries. And like, I wouldn't believe any documentary at face value, including my own. Like what I say, research your own experience, absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, add what is specifically your own when I'm quoting Bruce Lee, right? And like I I'd, I'd paralleled that with my search for truth in combat, which is how I got to where I got with Martial arts, and then my search for truth in nutrition, and I encourage people to do the same thing. Anytime that I make a claim, if you look on the bottom left of the screen, there's the citation, right? Or sometimes there's um, you know studies popping up, and you can see that the, uh, the, um, the citation there. So I encourage people to really dig in and look into it. And I do think that the younger generation uh, is more willing to to spend a bit of time looking into things, and so they're more open to you know the environmental stuff or you know, health. I just think, and people have become, like, I think people are going more health conscious now as well.
0: Do you know the statistics of, of what this documentary has had in terms of impact, you know, within the UK? Or is it, have you focused more by being in America? No, or I the mean, stateside? we've looked. At,
1: yeah. So, you know, Google Trends, right? So you can, you, we've searched by country. I've looked at the UK and the US and worldwide and Canada and Australia and a bunch of other countries. And so I think the biggest indicator is that on the day, that the film hit Netflix. Now, it had come out in theaters for one night only. We did 1,500 theaters around the world. And then we were on iTunes and Google Play. And from then, it's actually gone up about three and a half times the interest in plant-based eating. So if you type in plant-based, if you type in plant-based recipes, if you type in plant-based diets, if you type in plant-based athletes, there's a massive spike in interest in Google Trends, which is also still growing. Uh, And you see the real spike hit the day... the film hit netflix so uh, that's not a coincidence you know and also the next day after that was the first time in years that the interest in keto was less than the interest interest in in vegan so if you look at it i mean a year ago the interest in keto was 10 times the interest in vegan on google trends and because of the film that interest has just totally switched and there's more interest in veganism and plant-based eating now there's a a vegan website that reached out just in the UK, and they've tracked their membership. And for years, they they got up to like twenty five thousand members. And the day the film came out, massive spike, same as Google Trends. And they're now at like four and a half times. They've gone over a hundred thousand for the first time. I mean, first time ever, and quadrupled more than quadrupled their the interest in their Facebook page. So we have we're, we're going to be digging into more metrics, but of course, to do that, you've got to. Uh, you know, hire people that specialize in that. So we are, we are going to do that and get more data because we do want to see the impact that it's made and see, you know, what we can do to, to create even greater impact.
0: One of the main reasons why a lot of people eat meat is B12, right? Yep. And actually, what the research has shown now is that actually the levels of B12 that actually we are consuming from the meat is actually limited.
1: Yeah, it's limited. Not only is it limited, but it's also uh, because the food that they eat don't, doesn't have, you know, it's actually created by bacteria. But the, the animals are actually fed B12 too. So people say, oh, well, if you're, if you're a vegan, you have to supplement. Well, you're already supplementing. You're not only supplementing. So, so vegans are typically lower in B12 and vitamin D. Those are the two vitamins, right? Well, those two vitamins are actually, um, uh, and a bunch of others are supplemented in the food chain. So you're supplementing. You're just getting it indirectly. Now that's the thing. So B12 would have been in, in the water and the soil and everything else, but now we sanitize our water uh, which is a good thing because you don't want to get cholera and things like that. But with that comes, you know, the destruction of the B12 in the water as well. And, you know, up to 40% of people are low in B12, most of those are eating meat. So it's just a good idea to supplement with B12.
0: And even even if you have a plant-based diet, you still suggest to to, to take vitamins, right? B12 vitamins. Uh,
1: B, B12, yeah, you can do once a week, like 2,500 IUs, or you can do it daily. I think it's like a couple hundred IUs. Um, but... Yeah, everyone that's on a completely vegan diet should absolutely be supplementing with B12. Interestingly, omnivores are lower than vegans in nine uh, vitamins and minerals. Uh, Vitamin A precursors, uh, B1, B6, B9, C and E, vitamin C and E, and then magnesium, manganese, potassium, and copper. So they're actually lower in a bunch of, so I don't know where people are coming like, oh, if you're on a vegan diet, you have to supplement. Well, omnivores are lower in a bunch of vitamins and minerals than, than vegans are. As you said,
0: you know, animals are actually doing a disservice by robbing the fiber and vital nutrients, mm-hmm. right? Because yep. as you said, you know, kind of all of the pesticides and things, and I think you even said here
1: they're inflammatory uh,
0: mediators, right? Right. Yeah,
1: Which so you've got is- things like heme iron and TMAO and AGEs. There's all these things that people have learned more about in the last 10 years that we know are pro-inflammatory, inflame your arteries, they delay recovery time. So those are in animal foods. Uh, yeah, they're robbing the fiber. 90% of Americans, I keep going back to Americans just because I've lived there, but 90% of Americans are deficient in fiber. Where does fiber come from? It comes from plant foods. You know. And even if you listen to the paleo advocates, right, say, oh, we should be getting much fiber. If you look back, the paleo researchers say that on average people are getting about 100 grams uh, of fiber a day, right, which is a lot more than the current recommendations. But the funny thing is vegans are getting much closer to that than people on the paleo diet. Because you're displacing. Every time you eat an animal food, you're displacing it. There's an opportunity cost of eating more whole plant foods, right? So people on the paleo diet are not even getting close to the fiber intakes that they're recommending. But certainly, there is evidence that eating, you know, sort of more naturally produced animal foods are better than having the stuff from factory farms. You don't want added hormones, right? Although people forget that it's also the the, the hormones in animal foods, like the estrogen in animal foods is identical to that of humans. I think kangaroo is a good example of where they've shown that completely wild-caught meat has about half of the inflammation of sort of standard-produced uh, meat. So it's still inflammatory, right? And they test for three things. They something called CRP, C-reactive protein, TNF-alpha, and IL-6. And they test these sort of um, markers of inflammation. And sure enough, about half the amount uh, of inflammation. And then the other thing you've got to remember is that plants are anti-inflammatory, so if you are going to eat some animal foods, cut down the amount of it in the meal and eat a lot of plant foods with it. So that, like if you just did a bunch of animal foods here and then later did a bunch of plant foods, it would actually be better to split that up and have a bunch of plant foods with those animal foods because that can kind of help counter some of that inflammatory effect. I think the, me- the first step is really having plant-based options, right? And so, for example, just in California, it's now a law that uh, hospitals, all hospitals have to have a plant-based option. Because it's crazy, right? You go into a hospital for a heart disease, and maybe they give you heart surgery, then they give you the same foods that just gave you the disease in the first place. So now it's just been made law uh, that plant-based options have to be available in every hospital in California. And often what happens in California and New York then spreads around the states, and then that spreads around the world, right? So I think that's a big first step. You said something that really stands out for me, is that we are not trying
0: to say go vegan or vegetarian. We're trying to dispel some myths and let people make their own decision. How can you argue that?
1: That's it. I I think the one thing that people say, well, that why did you only include vegan athletes? You know, um, and first of all, not everyone is completely. So, Nate Diaz eats a little bit of fish, a little eggs in a while, but he wasn't shown as an interview. Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't drink dairy and has cut down his meat eighty percent. So, just make it clear, he's not completely vegan, right? But all of the other athletes that we interviewed on screen, all the athletes, they were completely vegan, and the reason that we did that. Is because otherwise people would said, they'd say it's the fish that they eat once a week or it's the chicken they eat once a month that's giving them protein. So, yeah, we use vegan athletes, but only as an example. But really, we're just, you know, we are hoping people shift towards more plant based eating, but people should eat whatever they want.
0: I always say to individuals when they come onto the podcast, because I think it's really important to recognize those that have supported you when others haven't. Mm-hmm. If you could give recognition and thanks to anyone that supported you along this journey, who would you reach out to?
1: I mean, I think there's lots of people, you know, the people on the team, uh, Joseph Pace, who's the other producer on the team, and the co-producer, Shannon Cornilson. Um You know, there's, there's so many people on the team. There's like like 100 people that helped make the film, probably. But out of anyone, you know, the biggest um, person I'd like to thank is my wife for being supportive. I mean, I've traveled to four continents. It's taken years out of my life, sort of preventing her doing some of the things that she wanted to do. So, yeah, my wife, Alicia you know, really grateful for her for looking after our kids and looking after the family. It's a
0: sacrifice, but I think it's one that's gonna make such a change in this world. I think this is a really exciting time and I think as you said, the impact that you've had in society over a short period of time already has been unbelievable. Even if you can change a person's perception of how they think of something just by 1%, if you add up all those 1% around the world, it can make such a big difference. So for me, I just want to say I'm so privileged, genuinely, from the bottom of my heart to have you on here today. Because like I said, I think you're a part of a new revolution of how we treat our nutritional values, how we approach it, how we think. So, mate, honestly, thank you so, so much. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what impact this is going to have on my personal life and my performance with the things that are coming up.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it, so uh, we'll see. <laughs> You're a legend, brother. Awesome, thank thank you, thanks so much for Cheers. having me on,
0: appreciate it. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Limitless. This podcast is something I am so passionate about and would love it if you would let me know your thoughts and opinions by leaving a rating and a review in the comment section. It really helps me to spread the word If you think this story might resonate with someone you know, then please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes every Thursday where I'll be talking to more inspirational guests who have seen past their limits. Until next time.